This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Today we are simply going to start with a picture. I don't know these people. This, I don't know their story or anything about them. I just found this picture on the internet. And I don't know anything about their situation. But it's kind of obvious that the young man has broken one of the rules of who I assume to be the mother, but he has um, broken one of her rules, and she feels it's necessary to scold him about that. She might have asked him to wash the car, and he decided to use her favorite hooded sweatshirt as a wash rag. Uh, more likely, he was probably asked to do the laundry and uh, mix the colors in with the whites. And regardless of the situation, the mother obviously set some parameters uh, for the son to follow. And he did it his own way. He decided to do it his own way. And so she starts to give him a, a lecture about it. How does he respond? He responds with, you didn't say not to. Have any of you ever heard that from your kids? Have you ever said it to your parents? I have. You didn't say not to. So whatever their situation is, and we're, we're assuming it's going to be the laundry, but she uh, gave him approval for certain laundry-related activities. She doesn't have to say, don't put half of the bleach in, half a gallon of bleach. She doesn't have to say that. She doesn't have to say, don't put all the clothes in the, in the washing machine before you check the pockets. This uh, phrase, you didn't say not to, oftentimes a lot of people of various ages will use this phrase to try and shift blame from themselves to somewhere else. So today, we're going to talk about when the Bible is silent. And the, uh, we, we say, we speak when the Bible speaks, and we're silent when the Bible is silent. In modern times, we have to be very careful to separate what God says from what he doesn't say. <clears throat> One of the first examples that I know of, of when the Bible is silent, is the question of where did Cain get his wife? The Bible doesn't say. But we know that Eve was the mother of all people, and... Um, her and Adam had many children, and in that current time, in that particular situation, one of those offspring became Cain's wife. There is a famous comedian. His name is Bill Ingvall. And he does a comedy routine in which he talks about all the warning labels that are on 
virtually every product that's out there. And he uses as an example the warning on the back of a fan belt that states you should stop the motor before changing the fan belt. People kind of have this kind of mentality to where they think, if it's not spelled out for me entirely, I can do it my own way. Sometimes you have to spell it out, every little detail. This, on this particular picture, this is a common item. We've all seen them. This is a to-go coffee cup from a fast food restaurant. I'm not advertising for the restaurant, but uh, pay attention to these words that are on that coffee cup. Why are those there? They, um, several years back, a customer went through the drive-up window at, a, at this particular restaurant, or this branch, or I mean, this restaurant's corporation, one of their outlets, and uh, purchased a cup of coffee. And as he proceeded to leave, he spilled it in his lap, and he sued this establishment and won. The restaurant didn't tell him that the coffee was going to be hot. It shouldn't have to, but they didn't tell him that, and he won his case. Another example is uh, uh, many years ago, a man purchased a uh, gas-powered lawnmower from Sears, and he decided to pick the lawnmower up and use it to trim his hedge. He became injured, he sued Sears, and he won his case, and his argument was the owner's manual for that product didn't tell him that he couldn't do that. Anytime we hear of a story like this, that people ignored certain common sense uh, rules, things that are implied but not stated should not have to be explained in every little detail. And the result is that now more and more corporations uh, will put warnings on their products concerning every possible misuse a person could do from that product. Medications even. Years ago, you would get a prescription from the doctor and he would say, take two of these with food and uh, uh, if it might give you an upset stomach or something. He would tell you a few of the side effects and you'd go on your way. But now, medications go as far as saying, if you're allergic to this medicine, don't take it. Some of this stuff goes without saying. If this stuff is going to kill you, don't take it. And now you get a prescription, and there's four pages of possible side effects. Uh, they list everything from heart attack to blood pressure to uh, drowsiness or possibly a uh, rash. Why is that? Well, it's because if they remain silent about any of these possible side effects, someone will use that silence against them.
there are certain things that just require a little bit of common sense. I guess then I can ask, what about when the Bible is silent? What about when the Bible doesn't say not to? How do we know what is right about God, about us, about our worship, and about the church, about how we're supposed to live or how we're not supposed to live? Well, the Bible is our source. Did I miss one? No, yeah, the Bible is our source. Not human tradition, not cultures, not cults, not family, not man's ideas, not fads, not the latest craze. The Bible alone is our source. <clears throat> we say God said it, and we will speak when the Bible speaks, and be silent when the Bible is silent. We have the Old Testament, which is uh, useful for instruction and encouragement. And uh, we can read that all of those things still are for our learning in Romans 15, verse 4. There we read, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And then we have the New Testament, which is a covenant by which we're supposed to live and the pattern for uh, Christianity. So um, how does this biblical authority come to us? Well, first off, there are direct commands, explicit statements. There's no question about, no argument about what it says. It's plain, black and white, it's pure and simple, completely all laid out in every detail. Another way that this authority comes to us is by approved biblical examples. Uh, when the Christians did something that was approved of, we're basically told to go and do likewise. Also, negative examples can be useful to, for teaching. Uh, one positive example of uh, that we can learn from is in Acts, the fourth chapter. In the latter part of that chapter, where they are being told to be generous with their uh, possessions, uh, the people are selling their land uh, and various properties, and they bring it to the apostles and basically tell the apostles, use this as you will, uh, give it to the poor or for the evangelist, just use it how you will. And Barnabas is one of the uh, people that was doing this, and he's listed in there. But almost immediately after uh, this part where they say, oh, this is a good thing, Ananias and Sapphira come in. This is in chapter 5. They had uh, sold some of their property, but they conspired amongst themselves to lie 
and to tell the apostles the um, money was the total price of purchase that they got for their land that they sold. And Ananias came in and he um, gave his offering to the apostles and he, they asked him, is this all of it? He said, yeah, that, that's everything. And uh, he, he was struck dead right there, then and there on the spot. And uh, shortly after this, Sapphira, his wife, came in and she didn't know what had happened to her husband. But she came in and she told the same story, lying to the apostles and to the Holy Ghost. And again, she was struck dead instantly on the spot. We are not specifically told to imitate Barnabas, and we're not specifically told do not be like Ananias and Sapphira. But we know that Barnabas's actions were approved, and Ananias and Sapphira were not. Another way that we get biblical authority is I'm not there yet, but when um, is the Bible will imply something. Not necessarily stated in so many words, but the implications are there. And from that, we can determine certain things to be true. You've all heard the story many times of how Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he had fasted for a lengthy period of time. And he's in the wilderness, and Satan approaches him and tells him, well, just tell these stones to turn into bread, and you'll be fed and, be, and no longer be hungry. And, well, Jesus refuses his temptations. Satan tries again on a couple more occasions. He, he says, fall down and worship me, and all these kingdoms will be yours. Jesus continued to refuse uh, to yield to his temptations. And we could see in uh, what he had to say about that in Matthew 10, Matthew 4, I'm sorry, verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I use the east word. Uh, it makes things a lot easier for me, and there's cross-references available. One of the cross-references that was in Esau, led me to a scripture in Deuteronomy that uh, Jesus is referring to. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, in verse 13, we read, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. Jesus, as he's saying this, and uses the word only, by saying only, he doesn't have to say, don't go after those other gods. By using the word only, it pretty well, it would definitely, it eliminates the possibility of following other gods. His, his silence on the matter is summed up with that word only. 
I think it's important to understand that when God specifies exactly what he wants us to do, there can be no additions, no uh, alterations, no subtractions, no changes of any kind. But he doesn't have to say, don't, 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 over and over and over again. For example, we know uh, the story of Noah, how God told Noah to build the ark. And we can find that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. He tells Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make it in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. We don't know what type of wood gopher wood is. But God didn't say, don't use oak, don't use maple, don't use cypress or cedar. He told him to use gopher wood. Some people say that just means he told his sons to gopher wood. Probably not so. The story continues in the 15th verse. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it, make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Noah is given explicit instructions on how to proceed. God did not have to say, don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. He didn't have to say this because the commands he gave were definite and not to be changed. Another example where God gave explicit instructions that he expected to be followed to the letter can be found in Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> this passage is um, talking about the uh, Feast of the Passover. And it tells, um, well, we'll read it first. It reads, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. This passage tells all the stuff they're supposed to do. They're supposed to use a lamb. They're supposed to uh, butcher the lamb. Uh, they're supposed to roast it in fire. They're supposed to consume it. They're supposed to put the blood on both sides and then over in the overhead part. Um, it, it tells that if there's not enough people in the family to finish the lamb, they're supposed to consume it. If there's not enough people present to finish it at one sitting, they're supposed to invite others in who perhaps are too poor to afford a lamb. But they're even told how they're supposed to be dressed when they do this. And they're told this to be uh, no changes, no deviations. And by doing these things and putting the blood on the post, they show the angel of the Lord that there are God's people living there. And he would pass it by. Another example uh, can be found in um, First Chronicles. 
um, chapter 13. This was a happy time. This was an exciting time. David was the king at the time, and he, he decided, we need to go and get that Ark of the Covenant and bring it here. And uh, the people said, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. Let's do that. And so they're all happy, and they're having a, a pretty much a celebration. They're playing music, and they're all joyful, and they're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it home. 1 Chronicles 13 7, we can read, And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came, Unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. They knew they weren't supposed to carry the ark on a cart. They did buy a new cart, but they weren't supposed to put it on a cart and carry it that way. Only the Levites were allowed to carry it. The ark had rings on the sides, and they were to insert long poles into these rings, and then it would be lifted up and carried on their shoulders, perhaps much like a stretcher. That's how they were supposed to carry it, but they, whatever reason, decided to put it on a cart. Maybe it would be easier, or they were going to carry it on the cart, and it was probably entirely instinctive on Uzzah's part to try and stabilize that ark when the oxen stumbled. It wasn't allowed. And God struck him dead right then and there. That kind of made David mad at God that uh, he would strike Uzzah dead. But then later he came to his senses and he realized he had no business being mad at God. And they went to bring it back again later on. And they carried it correctly this time. That's an example of they didn't do it exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And things turned out badly. So I, I think we can see by these examples that when God gives us commandments, uh, he has authorized People to do whatever is necessary according to the rules he has set. And he has allowed people to do this as long as they don't make any changes, alterations. These things are not allowed at all. <clears throat> In these uh, modern times, we see so many practices and traditions that people accept and say, oh, that's okay. One of the most common and probably most popular that you hear nowadays is the subject of same-gender marriage. They say, that's okay. Well, it's simply not so. It just isn't. 
We're going to go to Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 4. And in this passage, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and they're asking him about divorce. But we're going to use what Jesus has to say. In 19 and verse 4, he says, uh, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's it. Plain and simple. That's, that's God's plan. One man, one woman, not two men, not two women. And to use this uh, scripture, uh, Jesus, as he's saying this, he's going all the way back to Genesis from uh, the very start where God made man and woman. There are so many things that people, in order to satisfy themselves, will try to change uh, or alter. God never said, don't make a bunch of denominations or different creeds or traditions that are outside biblical authority. God never said, don't change the elements of the Lord's Supper. He didn't have to. God never said, don't make the Lord's take, uh, don't change the Lord's day and make it a Monday or a Thursday. He didn't have to because he said the first day is the Lord's day. God never said, don't appoint women to be elders and preachers. He didn't have to. He said, elders are to be the husband of one wife. That pretty well excludes any other possibilities. God never said, don't sprinkle babies and call it baptism before they're even old enough to know sin. When he said that his word is to be preached and a conviction is to be reached and to, be, and to repent and to be immersed, that was all inclusive. And he didn't have to say, don't do these other things. How about God never said, don't pray to Mary? Because it wasn't necessary. All these things that have been brought into the religious world go against the biblical authority. He did say what to do, and all these other things are alterations, additions, or substitutions, and they're not to be a part of our worship, our teaching, or our practices. God doesn't have to list all of these things and say, don't do them. He told us what to do, and that's enough. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.